pray together. Father, we come before you now and we've sung to you. We've sung about you. We've gathered together as your people and I pray that you've felt our, our worship today, our love for you. I pray now that as we listen to you through this time of teaching that you would speak to every one of us. You know every one of us individually. You know what we need to hear from you. And so I pray that through the message, through just your power of your Holy Spirit, that every one of us would be able to say that, wow, God spoke to me today. He's so real and he's so present. And I just thank you for that. We want to give this all to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be wonderful. And I want to thank you so much for being here. Welcome, all of you. Welcome, all of you who are watching online as well. I'm Ron Thompson. I get to be one of the pastors here. It's really one of the joys of my life to be able to do this. And today, what we're going to do, Mark mentioned earlier, is we're going to wrap up this mini-series that we've been in over the last few weeks through the Old Testament book of Ruth. So I'm just going to invite you, if you would, just to jump right in with me today, just to grab these message notes out of your program. You're going to need them. There are lots of Bible verses here, opportunities for you to write down some thoughts, some words from God, or even some observations. And then we're going to take this with you. And notice there's a lot of Bible verses because in the series we put all the ones from, we've covered every chapter in this book. And so we've, all the verses are there for you. If you have your Bible open to Ruth chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. So I want to let you know, if you don't own a Bible, I want to give you one. And so if you'll stop at those bookshelves right out there when you leave, then you will give you a Bible. It'll be our gift to you. We'd love for you to be able to have one in your home. And so as we've seen in the previous episodes of this mini-series, Ruth is a real story, right? It's raw it's real. Uh, we've looked at some difficulty. We've looked at some pain. We've looked at suffering. Uh, we've looked at moments where there was uh, fists shaking at God, and we affirmed that that's good because it affirms that we believe in God, and we have faith in Him, and He's okay with us expressing our anger at him. And we talked about his provision. We've talked about the small details of life and how he's there for us. And we just talked about this whole idea because Ruth is a story of redemption. It's a story of what God is doing. And so we began the series defining the key word. And I want to bring us back to that today. We've mentioned it every week. It's the word hesed uh, or hesed. And so if you want to see that, how it's spelled, I'll just pop it up here. Here's the definition that we're going to be using. We've been using it through this series, this is Paul Miller, and it's from his book, A Loving Life, and I've recommended it every week and can't recommend this book enough to you. I uh, would love to have every one of us be able to at some point read this in the next six months to read this. So if you have a book outlet, I know that we're out today, but if you have a book outlet, you can order online. It'll be the last day that we'll have these available uh, that you might be able to do that. But this has been truly uh, one of those most eye-opening books I've read in a long time and how it's helped me on this concept of Hesed love and to realize how much Ron Thompson needs to grow in being able to love in the way that this definition, and this is the definition he has. It's from his biblical scholarship. He says this, Hesed is a Hebrew word that is used primarily in reference to the loyal love of God. So primarily, it's talking about God. So you see it mentioned throughout the Old Testament. It talks about God's steadfastness, his love, his kindness, and you see that, and it's used there. It means steadfast love, and it combines love and loyalty. So it's you know, love and loyalty. He's committed to us in one word. Hesed is a stubborn love that won't quit or won't give up. It also refers to the loving kindness. So stubborn, not going to give up, tough, strong, tender, compassionate 
loving kindness of God. It combines the idea of commitment and sacrifice. So I commit to you, and then I'm going to sacrifice in order to stay with you. I'm going to give up my rights. In a world that says, I've got to do what's best for me, Hesed love says, no, 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 no. I've got to do what's best for you. And that totally changes the way that we come at life. It's a one-way love that needs no reciprocation. It's a love without an exit strategy. Hesed is the opposite of the spirit of our age, which says we have to act on our feelings. Hesed says act on your commitments. It's a stubborn covenant love that God makes, and then he wants us to make with each other and live that out as well. So this may recap, okay? This may be your first week here. This will help you to know where we're going. Maybe you've been here, and if you're like me, I always need reminders, okay? And so we're going to recap just a little bit. So here we go. We've got this family. We've got Naomi, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion. And so there's a famine in the city they were living in of Bethlehem. And so that in order to take care of his family... Uh, the kill, uh, Elimelech decides that he's going to move his family to Moab, uh, which was about a seven-day journey from Bethlehem. But Moab was a fertile valley, and there had been lots of moisture, and so there were lots of crops. And so he takes his family to this place called Moab. Now, if you know your Bible history, you know this wasn't a good idea. Because Moab, you go read much of Jeremiah and Isaiah, you're going to find Moab will like the enemy, okay? And that God has a lot of just, uh, you know, brings a lot of justice on them at a certain time. And as he's talking to the things that are going to happen to them because of what they've done to his people. And so uh, they were there and they got there and Elimelech dies. And so Elimelech dies and. Uh, Naomi's left there without a husband, with two sons. Her two sons decide that they'll marry, and so they marry Moabite women. Once again, it goes against the Jewish laws about how that you would intermarry. So they went against what God would actually say would be best for them. And they married two women named Orpah and Ruth. And so then they were married, and after about 10 years, Kilion and Malon die. And so Naomi's left without a husband. And without her two sons, so there's no male representation in their home. And I'm just sorry, ladies, but this was a totally male-dominated, driven culture. And if you didn't have a man at the head of your home, then you were in for a very, very tough road. And so she had lost her support system. And she was only left with these two daughters-in-law. So along the way, she hears that God's moving again back in Bethlehem. And so the famine's over and the crops are coming in and it's a wonderful harvest. And so she looks at her daughters-in-law and says, hey, we're going to go back to Bethlehem. And so they are Moabites, remember? They're going to go with her to, uh, to Bethlehem. So they go out. It's about a seven-day journey somewhere, I'd say, like in the first day, maybe the first end of the first day. She looks at her daughters-in-law and she said, look, 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 you're Moabite women. I, it's not going to be good for you if we go to Bethlehem. You have families here in, Mo, in Moab, and so why don't you go back to your families? You can find a husband. You're still young. Find a husband. You can have babies. You can have an heir. You can have sons who can protect you and give you life. Orpah, she said, hey, that's a great idea. And so she said, I'm going to go back to my family. And she turned and she went back to her family. And I just want you to remember, in this book, there is never judgment given on the people because of their decisions. So we have to be careful not to judge ourselves. So she goes to back to be with her family, but Ruth, on the other hand, throws herself at the feet of 
Naomi and says, I will never leave you. Hesed love. This is Hesed love right here. She said, I, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Now, you got to know that they've been together probably 12 years or so. And in this time that there's been a lot of teaching about Yahweh, a lot of teaching about the God of the Bible, of the Old Testament. And so Ruth had a deep understanding of what it means to know God, Yahweh. And so she said, I want your God to be my God. I want that God to be the one that I serve as well. And so they go back to Bethlehem. They get there. And then this is where we have the fist-shaking moment where Naomi's expressing her angst at God, her disappointment, like, God, where are you at? We titled that week, When God is Absent. And so she was talking to him and saying, God, I, my life is not anywhere like what I thought it would be, what I believe you promised it would be, and I'm in this tough spot. And by the way, we said that day that it's by faith that you can actually express that. So there's really, she was expressing faith at that point to express her anger at God. And then, so it ends there with her saying, my name will no longer be Naomi, which means sweet or pleasant. My name will be Mara, which means bitter. And I made a joke about that. That You think about that. Her, she said, my last name is woman. My first name is bitter. My middle name is old. I'm bitter old woman. Okay, that's what she was saying. That's my identity that she has at that place. So then we go into chapters 2 and 3. This is what I thought was amazing. For the rest of the time that you go through chapters 2, 3, and 4, it, Naomi's mentioned a lot, and it's always Naomi. It's never Mara. So the Bible didn't acknowledge, God didn't acknowledge that she wanted to change her name because he knew he had a different story in mind for her in this whole way that he was going to work in her life. So chapters 2 and 3, we see that they get there, the harvest is in full motion, and so they go out, you know, Ruth wakes up the next day, she's industrious, she says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to harvest, and so she goes out to a field. Remember it says, it says, by chance she happened to be in the field of Boaz. And we talked about how God is always at work in the little details. There's never any chance in God's story. We have to look for what God is doing in the little things. And so we saw God's blessing through the guardian redeemer. If you missed that week, I'd really recommend you go back and learn about guardian redeemer and what does that mean for all of us. And then we get into chapter three last week. That was hot, huh? So we have romance last week. And so we go through this whole thing about romance. And oh, this is what I loved about that story is that Naomi and Ruth knew the word of God. They knew the Jewish rules and laws. And so they looked up the Jewish rules and laws and they did everything that night was proper according to the rules. And so what happened is, is that Ruth goes into the tent where Boaz is, and she pulls off the covers off his feet, lays down there, and that's all according to what was, was going to happen. Boaz wakes up. They have a conversation. First he wakes up and goes, whoa, dude. <laughs> and there she is at his feet. And so then uh, she, in a conversation, Ruth proposes to Boaz. Ladies, there we go. She proposed to Boaz at that moment, and then that's kind of where we left off last week, and we left off with kind of this revelation then by Boaz where he's, he's going, oh, well, yeah, but there's a problem. Uh, there's a problem. There's someone else in line to be the guardian redeemer first. And so if he says yes to this, then he's the one that gets to marry you and not me. And so, you know, if we're at home and we're watching on 
you know, Netflix or we're watching the Hallmark Channel, right now would be the commercial break, okay? <laughs> oh, 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 why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? You know, oh, I want this. We all want Boaz to win, right? We all want Boaz to be the one. And so, no, that's not exactly what happened at that moment. And that's where we're going to pick up today. And I'm going to give you some observations as we work through chapter four, and they're going to be helpful to help you to be able to grab hold of this, take away something for you in your life as well. So three observations. The first one is this, is that God restores hope as we participate in what he's doing. So I have to participate in what God is doing. So at the end of chapter three that Mark covered last week, he did such a good job at that, is at the end of chapter three, Naomi says to Ruth, when Ruth comes back, Naomi says, how to go, how to go, how to go. And Ruth tells about the, the other redeemer. And this is what Naomi said. says, I love this. Chapter three, verse 18. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. She knew Boaz's character, but she was also saying to Ruth that, you know what? You have to wait on God's timing. You have to wait. And I'm going to talk about that in a little while. What do we do while we wait? While God's working, we have to be trust that he has a plan and that he's working it out in us and for us. So let's pick up the story then, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. So as we read these, I'm going to make comments, okay? Just pause, pause a couple of times, make comments. And so when it says went up to the town gate, it's, you know, we, we kind of think of a gate like my neighbor just built a gate in their backyard. And so they built a little archway. And then they said, we have to have a gate. So they built this wooden gate that you can see through that you come in. We, that's what we usually think of about when we think of gate. But that was different in this day. It was the town gate that they could close off to keep marauders and keep you know, wild animals out during the night. But what they had done is it was also on the inside of the gate, they'd established that as the center of commerce. So this is where all business dealings were done. This is where justice was done. This is where the judicial system happened. You could sit there. It was the place. It was like the, you know, the town square in kind of our late heritage in America, the town square. So that's what was happening. Boaz sat down there. So they would sit, and that's how they did their business in sitting, because that was more official, just as the guardian redeemer, redeemer he had mentioned came along. So I, it's so hard in English to read this when you know exactly what's happening in the original languages. So this is going right back to where it says, similar in chapter, in chapter 2, where it says, and by chance, Ruth happened to go to the field of Boaz. So here's your Boaz. He goes out this day, and he gets there. He's going to wait. And by chance, that guardian redeemer who he had to meet happened by. He happened by. And I'll just remind you, nothing happens by chance in God's story. Nothing happens by chance. Boaz said this, come sit over here, my friend, and sit down. Come over here, and sit, my friend, and sit down. So just underline that word friend because it's going to be important in the point we're going to make in just a moment in the rest of the story. So all the commentaries I read, they make a huge deal out of the fact that this word in the NIV is translated as friend. It's a Hebrew word I can't even pronounce, so I'm not even going to try, so I'm going to embarrass myself. But the word friend in Hebrew, if you actually translate it Literally, it actually is this. Instead of friend, it is this. Mr. So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so. Or old Watts-face. So no name. No name. You could have even said it this way. Mr. No name. So it's really putting the guy in his place at this point to not give him a name. And I'll talk more about the significance about that in a moment. So it goes on. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. 
I thought I should bring the matter to your attention, master negotiator, master negotiator, and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm giving you first choice, and I'm next in line. And the guy looks at Boaz, and he thinks for just a second, and he says, I will do it. Once again, commercial break, because we're all wanting Boaz to, to win the girl right here. And so, but he comes back. And so what happens is, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. No-Name, he sees this as a no-brainer, okay? So, okay, Naomi's come back. Naomi's got all this property. She has no heirs. No one that would pass this to. So I'll buy it. And then what will happen is when I die, it'll be in my family. It'll pass to my children. So it was just a no-brainer business deal for him to do that. It wasn't anything about taking care of Naomi or fulfilling his responsibilities. And so he says, okay, I'll go forward with this. I'll go forward with this. And then Boaz, master negotiator, he drops this, oh, by the way moment. Oh, by the way moment. This is how it goes. Then Boaz says, Oh, by the way, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite. And he probably said it that way, too. The Moabite. You know, the Moabite, Moabite people. And that's because, you know, it was, she was from a foreign land. She was an immigrant. And so you didn't intermarry in that time. And so she was looked down on. And then he says, the dead man's widow. So he goes on and makes it even worse, is that she was uh, married to this guy named Malon, and they hadn't had children. So, golly, she's also probably barren, meaning she can't have children. She's infertile. And so he's making all these points that you're not going to get it. You're not going to get what you want here. And he says, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, oh, on second thought, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You can redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, it explains what's happening. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. Pretty strange. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. So that's the way they sealed the deal. He said, okay, I'm going to take off my sandal. I'm going to give it to you. It was the same if we had a contract today. Uh, we bought some property, and we had a contract, and then we signed it. We had to have it notarized, okay? The notarization made it, it proved that I was the one that actually did this. And so basically, I've got your shoe. You don't have a shoe. And so we know that this actually happened, and there are witnesses. Remember that. And so he's basically saying, at this point, he's saying, I'm forfeiting my right to be the guardian redeemer, and I'm passing, as I pass my sandal to you, I'm passing that right to you. Now let's go on. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought Naomi, not brought from Naomi, all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown, today you are witnesses. So turn your notes over, and I want to finish reading this before we talk about it. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, a Moabite woman, pray that they would be like the mothers of Israel. Oh, I'll tell you, this is scandalous what they're saying, but they're actually praying this as a prayer to God. 
who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. I wish I had time to talk about all that. We don't have it. But what I want to say is this, is that this is Hesed love in action. That's what we're seeing. Hesed love in action. Boaz chooses, because he wants to express Hesed love, to get involved and participate in what God is doing. He chooses to do that. He says, okay. And what happens there, as he chooses, Mr. No Name, Mr. What's-His-Face, goes away never to be heard from again. Now, in the Israel way of doing life, your name was the most important thing about you. Your name identified you. It gave who you were as a character. It told about your family. And so to refer to this man as having no name, and then he goes down in history as not having a name, was about the biggest, biggest, I would say, judgment upon him for what he was doing. But because Boaz was willing to sacrifice, his name is written down. We've got it right here. His name is written down for all time for people to read about what he had done as he showed Hesed love. His sacrificial act was part of God's story. And for thousands of years, people have been reading the name of Boaz because it's there. And people will be talking about his character, his valor, his faith, and love. He, because of his sacrifice, became part of something much greater than himself. So I was talking to the choir this morning. We were praying. Our music team was here. We're talking about what we're going to, you know, go, what we're going to go through today. And what I mentioned to them is this concept: is this, is that because Mr. No Name chose to take the easy road, what's in it, what's best for me, his name will not ever be remembered or spoken again. But because Boaz chose to take the harder road, the road less traveled, so to speak. He said, I'm going to take the sacrificial way. I'm going to show Hesed love. His name is remembered. And I was just thinking about that. I was thinking, you know what? When we get involved and we participate in what God is doing, we don't have a narrator writing it down so that, you know, in 100 years, some 200 years, 1,000 years, someone come back, oh, this is what was happening. Oh, now I see. Now I understand all the little details that were going on. But this is what I believe. I believe that in heaven, God is writing your story down. He's writing down the moments when you chose Hesed love over cultural love. Writing down the moments, things that happened, things you said, places you went, opportunities that you experienced, that you have no idea how it was impacting someone else, how it became part of God's story into the future, how it changed someone else. Because you were involved, and this is even the better picture, I thought, is that that book's up there in heaven, and your name is going to be read in heaven as God reads about what you did because you chose to participate in his story. Can you imagine God reading your name out loud and how you were involved and how you influenced others because of what he did for and in you? I just think that's such a great picture. And now what I'm, I'm just going to pause a moment, and I'm going to talk about something. I want to help some of you. I want to help some of you. Because some of you are going, well, I'd like to participate in God's story, Ron. I just don't know how. I don't know what. I don't know where. Just show me how I might do that, other than being aware as I go through my everyday life. Well, I want you to grab this, this flyer out of your program. It looks like it says, Be the Hope on it. It says, Be the Hope, Ways to Serve, or I would just you know, change it to Ways to Participate. 
And I just want to give you an opportunity. If you wanted to say, I want to serve somewhere, I want to participate in some way, these are some ways you could say, I want to participate with my church family. I want to be more than just an attender. I want to be more than just someone who comes and sings songs and worships God and listens to teaching. I want to do more. I want to be part of the story of Twin Cities Church. See, as we do life together, our story is being written in the pages of the book in heaven, and that someday that will be read aloud about what happened through the people who called themselves participants at Twin Cities Church. So it's going to list several areas here you can look at and say, oh, I could do that. I've got, it basically it comes down to time and it comes down to your talents, your skills, but really the most important thing is time. So what we're talking about here is, are you willing to show Hesed love with your time? Are you willing to give of your time sacrificially? so that you can be part of the story that God is writing through our church. I'm just going to give you a moment. I'd love for you to pick something out that you would say today, hey, I'm going to choose this way. I want to be involved in our church family in this way because I want to be part of the story that Twin Cities Church is telling and will continue to tell in the coming years. And so you have an opportunity to look through there and see the different categories and areas and responsibilities. I'm just asking if we would just to check one thing, maybe two at the most, that you would say you might be willing to get involved in in some way. Now, if you currently serve or you're currently participating, you can write that down as well because we're not asking for more. We're just asking for some. And so that you would say you want to be engaged in some way. Make sure to print. Let this you know, be legible so we can read it, so we can contact you. And then we'll contact you, and we'll help you know how you can participate. And once again, you still get to make a choice at that moment whether you do or not. We're not saying that you have to participate here in order to be part of God's kingdom and part of his family and part of his story. But we want to give you an opportunity so that you can That's exactly what this is about. So at the end of the service today, I'm going to ask if you would to put that in the offering basket as the offerings taken later on are received. So now I want to go back to verses 10, I mean 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. And so the elders there, as I said, they were offering a blessing. Now what is a blessing? A blessing is a prayer. And so they're offering a prayer. And so at this moment, in their essence, praying for Ruth, a Moabitess. This is crazy that this is happening. This is so crazy that you know it has to be God, that it's happily happened. They're praying for a Moabitess to be fruitful as the mothers of the nation of Israel, which was Rachel and Leah. So this is a huge deal, folks. By God, including because of Hesed love, when Ruth got on her feet before Naomi and said, I want your people to be my people. I want your God to be my... From that action forward, Naomi became a huge part. I mean, Ruth became part of a huge story that has a tremendous impact in her life and also then our lives as well, as we're going to see in just a little bit. So I just want to say this. She was an immigrant. She was an outcast. She was homeless. She was on the edge she was not included. She was not someone who'd be accepted. I just want to say to all of you who feel that would be you, God has a place for you. God has a place for you in his story. He welcomes you. He wants you. He wants you to be part of what he is actually doing. So, okay, second thing I want to talk about is this. After we participate, we celebrate what he's doing. We celebrate what he's doing. Going to verse 13. 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. I don't know how long that took, right? So they get engaged. They make all the deal, the arrangements made. Did she come that day? I don't know. But somewhere along the line, they had this thing where he became his wife. They had a ceremony. And then it says this, when he made love to her, don't have to go into that. 
Uh, we know what that means. The Lord enabled. Would you underline the word enabled here? I think it's a key word because up until now, she was married for 10 years and she, like I said, was not able to conceive. And now because of God's provision, he's moving into the ordinary. He's moving into the natural with supernatural. And that's one of the ways he works. That's one of the ways we become part of his story. He enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. you got to be kidding me. They're saying Ruth is better than seven sons? We're in a male-dominated culture. Having one son was you were in, okay? That meant you would be able to, more than likely, be able to produce an heir so your name would be on. There would someone go on and there was someone to be able to take over your property and your land. And so one son was awesome. Seven sons was a miracle. It was perfection. And they were saying, having Ruth as your daughter-in-law is better than having seven sons, better than perfection. This is really changing the way that people were looking at women and Ruth in this day. The importance as God places on folks and then what he was wanting to do. And so what happens is, is that it says this in, next. It says, okay, next it says, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. What's, where's Ruth at? Okay, so Ruth has not been in the story, and she's not going to be in the story again. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of who? David. Oh my goodness. Do you see where this is going? Do you have any idea? So our hope is restored as we invest in our, our best ourselves in remembering the things God has done and what God is doing as we gauge in what I'll call it redemptive remembering, looking at what is, God is doing around us. Because you know what, folks? I usually can't. I'm not very good at seeing what God's doing in the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good about seeing what God did in the past. But I have to look back, and I have to look for what he's doing, and I have to find his presence right there through redemptive memory. And so I was just thinking about this. You know, I know I've gone pretty fast today and had a lot of energy, but at this point I just want to say, can you imagine what this was like? So Naomi, she moves out of Bethlehem. Her husband dies. That's not light, folks. Her two sons die. She comes back. She's kind of talked about because of the choices they made and where they were at. It looks like it's a no-win situation for them. But because of God's providence, because of God's sovereignty, God works in ways that she could have never imagined. And so that Boaz and Ruth come together. As they come together, they produce a child. And can you just imagine with me, if, you know, if we were doing a Hallmark movie, the music would go, and the tissues would come out as a baby laid in her arms, in her lap. And she looks down, and she's in awe of what God has done, what God is doing. You know, guys, sometimes you read the Bible, and it's just black and white. This was a feeling moment. This was a tender, tender moment where she was able to celebrate what God had done in their lives because of God's Hesed love and because the Hesed love that Ruth had shown to her, because the Hesed love that Boaz had showed to Ruth as well, and because they were able to experience that Hesed love. See, God shows us in this. I think, folks, is what he shows us is there's always hope for tomorrow. There's always hope. 
because he's not finished writing your story. He's not finished. His love promises at this point that he's going to be with Naomi, he's going to be with you, and he's not finished writing our stories. And so I just want to say, would you believe in that God? Would you believe in him? That he loves you that much as well? That he has Hesed love, that he wants to fill you so much that you naturally begin to show Hesed love to others because of the love that he's shown to you? Will you trust God while you're waiting? You're, you're maybe confused. You're not sure what's going on. You're not sure where God's hand is. You're not sure how you can see him working at all. Will you trust him while you're waiting? Maybe these words from Andrew Murray will help. It's from a wonderful little book called Waiting on God. He says this about waiting. He says, learn to worship God as the God who does wonders, who wishes to prove in you that he can do something supernatural and divine. Bow before him, wait upon him, until your soul realizes that you are in the hands of a divine and almighty worker. Consent not to know what and how he will work. Expect it to be something altogether godlike. He is teaching you to leave all in his hands and to wait on him and wait on him alone. And so Naomi and Ruth waited on God and he was as he was preparing them for what's next. And that's the last idea is this. I need to anticipate what he's doing. I need to anticipate. I need to learn to look forward. I need to have a holy imagination to look forward to what he's doing, to put myself into what, if God were working right now, what would God be doing and start looking for him so I can lean into the pathways on which he's guiding me to go down. And this is how it ends. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nishon, Nishon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. And we now go to Matthew, and we look at chapter 1 as it goes through the same genealogy, and it goes now from David, it goes on and on and on until we finally get to the name and David's heir is Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ. Whew. Tell you, in this story, that's what God was doing. We, so you don't know what God is doing in your story at any moment, what he wants to do through you when you participate, when you celebrate what you see him doing, and you anticipate what he wants to do with you in the future. So here's the bottom line. You want to write this down. Here's the bottom line. Because of Ruth, we can know this. Because of what God is doing, we can know that the best is yet to come. The best for your life. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you think you've done. I don't care where you think you've been. I don't care what you think you lack. I don't care how your body is working today. I don't care how your mind is working today. I want everyone in here to know, no matter who you are, that your best is still yet to come. Your best with him. And I love this, the way it was written by... John Piper. John Piper wrote about this and so cool. He says this, the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. The life of the godly is not an interstate through Nebraska. You know what that means? Straight. <laughs> no hills, no turns, straight. But a state road instead through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Tennessee. You ever been there? 
He's going to describe it. There are rock slides and precipices and dark mists and bears and slippery curves and hairpin turns that make you go backwards in order to go forwards. But all along this hazardous, twisted road that doesn't let you see very far ahead, there are frequent signs that say the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And folks, taken as a whole, the book of Ruth is one of those signs. In the book of Ruth, we can find encouragement and hope that all the perplexing turns in our lives, all the times when we have to go backwards instead of forward, all the times when we're not sure where the road is leading, where it's windy and we're not sure, that all that is turning and guiding us to a place that God would say is good. It's good. When God leads us, his roads don't lead off a cliff. All the setbacks we face in life, we know that God is at work, he's at work, and he's plotting for his story to be known and his story to be told, for our story to be known and our story to be told. He's plotting for our joy because as we have joy, then we're able to express the Hesed love that we've experienced and we know from him. Your story is not done. Your story is not done. You bow your heads and let's pray together. God, I just want to thank you so much. I've been so moved by this deeply. I just thank you for your presence. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you have loving kindness. You have compassion. And when all the messages, all the voices inside say that we're not enough. Hell, we're too far away. That we're an immigrant. That we have no rights or we have no reason to be accepted. You come to us and say, my Hesed love brings you in. And because you gave Jesus Christ to us that we can know you and we can know how much you love us because you sacrificed for us. And so, God, I pray today that you would help each of us to be able to understand how much we're loved by you. And that as we are in that place right now, just say, oh, I don't know. Just know that if you could picture this, you in God's lap with him looking down at you with fondness, just as Naomi looked at baby Obed. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he cares. That's how much he wants you to be part of his family. So God, I pray today that I, th I just thank you so much for this study. And I just pray that it's just not the end of a mini-series. This is episode four and it's over, but this will be transformational. I pray that we would be eager to look for ways we can engage with you, we can participate. I pray that you would help us to be more active in celebrating what we see you do. Your goodness, your greatness, your love for us. And God, I pray for myself and for everyone else here that I would get better at anticipating what you're going to do. I want to be there. I want to see you work. I want to be there in that moment. I want to be able to give myself sacrificially, trusting that in those sacrificial givings that you are going to make all things work. You're going to give me all I need, even in the sacrifice. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.